You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Ashley Goodall is an executive, leadership expert, author, and has spent his career exploring large organizations from the inside. He currently serves as the Senior Vice President of Methods and Intelligence at Cisco, the data and research engine behind all the people stuff across his company. Prior to this, he led Leadership and Team Intelligence, an organization at Cisco focused entirely on serving teams and team leaders. He is the co-author with Marcus Buckingham of Nine Lies About Work, a free-thinking leader's guide to the real world, which was selected as the best management book of 2019 by Strategy Plus Business and one of Amazon's best business and leadership books of 2019. He is also the author of two cover stories in the Harvard Business Review, The Feedback Fallacy, which was Harvard Business Review's most popular article of 2019 and Reinventing Performance Management. This edition of the Scaling Culture podcast was recorded with a live audience on Zoom. For more information about our next live event, please see the show description. Some of the audio at the beginning of the recording was clipped, so we're going to start the podcast a few moments in when Ron is introducing Nine Lies About Work. We hope you enjoy this incredible guest. Things that I, from a belief standpoint, that I really truly believed, and the book challenged that, and I thought it was very, um, very thoughtful. Um, I loved uh, the spirit of the book. And so, yeah, I just want to, first off, thank you for writing it. Um, it, it was incredible, and I've certainly told lots of people that they should read it, and I talk about uh, the different um, theories in the book, which I, which we now implement, and so they're not theories anymore. They're now becoming experience, so thank you for that. Actually. Well, it was, it was great fun to write it, actually. Um, I don't think uh, Marcus and I had written with a partner before in the way that we wrote this book, and um, for the for folks listening who are familiar with the book, you would imagine that the idea of strengths shows up um, fairly early on. And so, you know, I think it would have been very, very disappointing if at the beginning of this whole thing, Marcus and I hadn't sat down and had a strength-based conversation about how to partner and write a book. Right. And right. we sort of said, you know, Marcus said, look, I love a blank sheet of paper. So once we've lined out what every chapter is going to be about and what the research is and what the key points are, I'd, I'd like to start. And I said, gosh, I love pulling apart somebody else's prose mm. and making it work harder. So that we both said what we were strengthened by and off we went. And it was, okay, and uh, it, it was really lovely. And how do you guys know each other? I was curious. Where the oh, we met, gosh, 10 years ago or so when I was at Deloitte. And I, um, I hired Marcus to do a speech. And, okay. um, Good hire. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was a wonderful speech. It was one of those, uh, you know, it's interesting. You talked about reading the book and the ground moving under your feet. When I read uh, First Break All the Rules, yeah. yeah. Marcus's first book. I felt the ground moving under my feet. I had that same same experience. So I finally got a chance to um, drag the guy down to Texas to Deloitte University to give a talk to a bunch of leaders at Deloitte, and wow. um, and we got chatting. The rest is history, pretty much. Wow. That's great. And what what set you on the path for nine lies? Like, is it was it? Did you guys get together and say? Look, there's just things we don't believe in, or we need to dig to find these things. What, what, what's, what was the North Star? How did you get to these nine lies? Um, well, I can tell you the answer. I'm not sure I'm desperately proud of it, but uh, uh, it is at least uh, it's true. I'm not sure it's admirable, but actually, what got us going was annoyance. Mm -hmm. um, I think we all want to believe that you know something as serious as writing a book, and as you know, it's hard work, and 
writing a book comes from a place of vision and positivity yeah. and the, the original germ is to lift up the world. But actually we were just feeling massively cranky together about what was going on in, in the world of work. Um, yeah. That's actually where it started. And yeah, cause that's uh, huge. Now you're still like, you are at a hundred billion thousand feet and now you need to come down to some, to nine lies. Right? Yeah. So, so we, we, um, you know, we both have day jobs. Um, yeah. And um, so we, we talked to the, we, we would, we had been chatting to the folks at uh, Harvard Business Review Press mm -hmm. back and forth. And they kept saying, look, we'd love to have a book from you. And we kept saying, we don't, we just don't have time to do a book. Mm -hmm. um, now the book wasn't on the plans at all. So we, we started playing around shooting a series of videos and then we tried some blogs and then we tried, and we were just trying to find the container for these ideas. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, sorry, Ashley, without the ideas or just let's push some stuff out there and see. Oh no, we had the, ideas. yeah, so we had the ideas. We had, um, we had um, probably seven of the, okay. The, the now nine things when we were when we were making lists of okay if we if we shot a bunch of twenty minute videos where we just said here's what we see here's what we need to, there were there were a half a dozen certainly which which showed up in the book but then ultimately um, in trying to find the right vehicle for this yeah. in the world uh, our, our publisher said look you know the book is the book needs to be the anchor and so we said all right well we'll write the book and then right. we spent um, we spent a day sitting in this. I'm in my home office in, in New Jersey right now. And there's a couch okay. over there, uh, over there. And, um, cars, some beautiful cars. Uh, and we sat on the couch for 12 hours and wrote on the window. Cause I don't have a whiteboard. Oh, um, wow. And so we got some pens that write on windows that you can mm. then erase. And we spent a day and we said, we set ourselves the task. We said, if at the end of the day we have a concept and an outline to contain all of this stuff yep. and thumbs up, if not, I don't know, try something else. And at the end of the day, on that window down there, at yeah. the end, you asked for detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Details. On that window down there, we wrote 10 lies about work. But, but where did you come up with the 10? I'm just really curious. If this is from your, your own experience. You were, you were annoyed at past experience to say this can't be true. How did you come up with the 10? Like, how do you get to this can't be true? Let's, let's poke at this. Let's challenge this. I think... Um, who are you looking at out there? Who's outside? No, I'm, I'm thinking. This is how I think. Thoughts are out here. Um, I'm joking. It, it, it's funny. So someone gave me some feedback. Feedback's one of the things. Someone gave me some yeah. feedback a long time ago and said, um, you seem very distant. And I'm like, yeah, I can't think while I'm looking at somebody's face. There's too much mm -hmm. information. I just need to be clear. That's me thinking. That's all. Yeah. Um, so how do we get to them? Uh, we had talked about, we'd done performance management for HBR in 2015 um, and written an article about that. And that had pushed us into the sort of measurement science bit. So we'd been talking about measurement science. So that gives you already the notion of engagement, which is behind line number one, and the notion of measurement, which is line number six. So we, ha we had some things going there. Um, as soon as you start thinking about the idiosyncrasy of excellence and strengths, you get line number four, which is all about individual excellence. And you get line number nine, which is the follow through of what happens if, if excellence is beautifully and magnificently idiosyncratic, then what does that mean for the world of leadership? We can't say you're a leader or not according to a standard template. We have to be able to say, how, why do we follow people who are different? Yeah, um, right. so, so those two were related. Mm -hmm. And then I think with uh, with a couple of 
a couple of hours of brainstorming and just, I suppose the, the process was more or less what makes us feel cranky, mm. why, and what would be better. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we did that over and over and over again. Um, and um, I, uh, you know, I won't speak for Marcus, but I can happily speak for myself. Actually, yeah. one of the things I'm quite good at and quite useful when I'm doing it is interrogating my own instinctive resistance to something. Interesting. Um, what is that? So like? I've learned to I've learned to do a couple of things. When when something feels off for me, mm-hmm. I've learned to go. It might be useful to lean in there and and mm-hmm. and dig a little further. Mm-hmm. And I've also learned to explain to the people around me that um, sometimes when I'm being cranky or curmudgeonly or saying no a lot, that's the beginning of a creative process. Mm-hmm. So please give me a little space yeah. to, to be. Um, to be frustrated by things because mm-hmm. I don't walk away when I'm frustrated. I go in and the in sometimes gets to goodness. Interesting. And so, so which, when you, when you solidified the nine, which was the most surprising to you? Because you then had to validate, right? I mean, it was just ideas and we need to validate, which was the most surprising. And I want to kind of dig into that, Ashley. I think the, um, I think the surprises come at the end of the book and the surprises weren't necessarily, oh my God, that's true instead. But as we dug and pushed and thought and explored and studied and researched, the the truths that emerged at the get more, I think more and more surprising as you go through the book. Uh, so like we go find get, the truth. The idea are set. Now we need to go find what the truth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, every chapter has essentially the same template. Mm-hmm. Um, here is the lie. Here's mm-hmm. why it's a lie. So this is the evidence. Um, here's here's where the evidence would point us instead. Here's the truth. So each right. chapter goes. Here's what's wrong with the world, and here's where you would go if if you were led by the best evidence we can muster. But some of the truth at the end, you know, we in about uh, in chapter seven we talk about potential, mm-hmm. and potential isn't a thing, and potential is actually a very the idea of measuring people on potential, which is a made up concept, and then based on that false measurement of a thing that isn't a thing, deciding who gets all the goodies at work and who gets sort of rejected, mm-hmm. um, is is a very uh, very harmful idea, very harmful idea for lots and lots of people. So we knew that. And we knew why, and we knew that the research would take us someplace else. Mm. But then this idea that emerged of momentum, that mm. um, is some combination of your mass, who you essentially are, your your psychometric traits, as, as it were, and then your velocity, how fast you're moving through the world, your, your psychometric states. And you put mm. those together and you say, look, we're all sort of particles bouncing around in the world. We all have okay. momentum. The question's not, do you have it, but where's it taking you? And do you want, do you want to go? Okay. That was lovely. That that's a sort of shift. That's lovely. Um, and a similar sort of thing happened in the last two chapters as well. So let me stay there for a sec. Cause we're on the people have potential and it was funny, you know, as I was reading, I could hear myself. I could hear other voices say, Oh, so-and-so has potential. You know, I mean, how many times have we heard that? And I was, I kind of laughed. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so bad. But, you know, this idea of momentum. So, so as leaders, if we're leading a team, leading an organization, how do we figure out someone's momentum? 
What is the best path forward to say, okay, Ashley, you report to me, fine, forget potential. What is your momentum path? And does that align with this job? And i.e., you, yeah. you know, you're in the accounting department and I'm hoping your momentum can take you to CFO. You know, you're, you're a junior accountant today. How do, how do we figure that out? Well, so the first thing to recognize is that potential tends to be a question of yes or no, fundamentally. Does, does a person have it or not? Is what okay. we like to say. Does Bob have potential? If yes, treat nicely. If no, treat badly. Okay. Um, momentum isn't a question of do you have it? Everything has momentum. Right. The question is where is it taking you? Where is it going? So, so, so it, it starts not from a judgment, yes, no, but from an inquiry. Where uh, is it taking you? Okay. So, so here's, what, here's what you do with it. And there was, a, there was a leader at Cisco we discovered when we were researching this chapter who has this beautiful, beautiful thing he does with his, with his team where he's, he says to the whole team, all right, go spend two hours on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and find your dream job. doesn't have to be inside Cisco. has to mm-hmm. be anywhere. In, go find your dream job. Interesting. Now then, look at the skills and experiences necessary, uh, or, or the not necessary, but the skills and experiences that the top incumbent on that job tend to have. Pick some. You're yep. gonna. So you're go be a researcher of the the um, velocity, if you like, of people who have this job. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, once you've done that, write down your answers. I want to have this role, and to get there, I want to acquire these things, these mm-hmm. experiences, these skills. Um, now, sit with a partner on the team and brainstorm together how each of you can acquire those skills and experiences mm-hmm. while doing this job. Wow. That's so you don't have to change jobs because we're not about jobs here. We're about mm-hmm. skills and experiences. So go dream job skills, experiences, work with a partner, figure out how to get them, and then we're all going to make commitments to help one another um, build these things in our current role. Okay, so again, just come back and con- compare and contrast. Old yeah. days, this team leader called Andy. Old days, Andy would have gone, look, I'm only allowed to have 15% of the people on my team have potential. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, 85% of the team is done, we're finished with the exercise, and the 15%, um, you've got potential, so you need to have a promotion or be in some special program or whatever. New World, Andy goes, we're all going to talk to all of ourselves constantly about where we want to go and how we can help one another. In other words, our momentum and is it taking us where we we want it to? That's the Mm -hmm. difference. Yeah, I love that. And and so so is the idea of concept that hopefully the skills for the dream job will help you in your current role? Because let's just say my dream job I'll go back to this accounting. Uh, I didn't find a CFO. My dream job was to be an astronaut, you know, and I found someone that worked at NASA and that's my dream job. I want to fly a spaceship, you know, and then I look at this, you know, what if it's way off the mark? That's still okay. Um, I don't know actually what I do in that. It's, Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you that when you do the exercise, it tends not to be way off the mark. People, People tend, uh, careers are not, careers are lily pads on a pond, right. and we're all frogs. Yeah. Uh, and we hop to adjacencies. We go to the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. We right. don't ever try and catapult ourselves off to a completely different pond on the other side of the planet. Right, um, right. fair enough. Yeah. And so when you say, what job do you want? And people start searching, they're, they tend to search in their they're industry lame. or in the space yeah. that they've yeah. been. Um, and what happens when people want to go to a different pond is actually a thing called formal education. 
that's mm. typically the move that you you make. So people go night and school. do an, a degree, or they yeah. go and do classes at night school, mm. or they actually remove themselves from the workforce for a while, right. deliberately reskill, and then go to the different mm. pond. But then once mm. they're in the different pond, it's lily pad to lily pad to lily pad again. Yeah, that's interesting when you say that because I've seen that. You know, where people, you're right, they, they typically just remove themselves. They stop work, I quit, I'm going back to school. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, so let's go back to the first one because that was the, you know, from a culture perspective, that was very interesting that, you know, it's not about the company. You could, it doesn't matter if you're Google, it doesn't matter if you're Amazon. If you get there, if you don't like the team and the leader, correct? The leader's part of that. Mm-hmm. Then it's death by a thousand cuts is how I, how I receive that message. Um, and, and what else is part of that? So you, so you land there. I like my leader. I need to like my team. And, and I, I can't remember actually if, if I was, I need to be passionate or had to have my skills aligned with my, my day to day. Was that also like the third piece? It's like, look, it's, um, if you locate somebody where they feel seen for what they are yes, and challenged to be more of themselves mm-hmm. and supported by their peers. Okay. You got it. That's the, that that's that's the formula so um you know we all go around in life knowing that um we're a little bit weird we don't realize quite how weird we are to other people because we're with us the whole time so we use i'm used to my weirdnesses i'm less used to yours and you're less used to mine um but we're all slightly weird to one another because you know it's just other it's other um when when you meet a team or a leader who says yeah, I see that. Hmm. And uh, it, it starts with, it doesn't start with whatever you're like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Because that's actually, a, a, that's actually a statement of blindness. What we want right. is sight. I see you. I know, actually, that you're curmudgeonly when you're at the beginning of an idea. I know you stare out of the window when you're thinking. I see all of that, and that's what I want more of. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That that essentially leads to the idea, the way you measure that is the survey item um, at work I get to play to my strengths every day. Um, then when that is challenged, that uniqueness of you is asked to grow. Yeah. Do I grow in who I am? That's extremely powerful. And then am I surrounded by people? So it's not just me and the leader sees me, but the people surrounding me support me in who I am. So um, let's go. And I, I, I love that. But I want to go to the other side. And when I say that, you know, I'm the hiring manager. How do I, how do I, because I think a lot of the listeners will want to know the answer to this question. How do I protect myself from Ashley? You're joining my team. I need to make sure that you're going to like my leadership and like the team during the interview stage. How do we, how do we flush that out? Are there any good systems to get there early? Well, um, before the, the team member comes on. Yeah, the, the, the trick to interviewing is to look for recent and frequent repeated behavior. Right. That's the best key to future behavior. Mm-hmm. It's not what somebody says they would do. It's if they can tell you a story of what they have. having done. So, so I interviewed a guy once and I'm looking for, I was interviewing for a team leader role and I said, tell me a story about... Um, your team leadership and he said well okay there was a there was a time when um my whole team needed to give a presentation to a senior executive mm-hmm. and so we spent um we spent three hours rehearsing and i said how long was the actual presentation he said it was half an hour 
I said, so you spent three hours rehearsing half an hour? And he said, yeah. And um, I said, so what did you do in the three hours? And he said, well, we agreed everybody's role. And I decided that this person wouldn't have this role because he annoyed the person we were presenting to. And this person was a better sort of MC role. So we had that. And then we knew where this person was an expert. And that, so we prearranged where we're going to call. Do, 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 do. And he'd done this, this whole rehearsal. So at this point, I know that I'm interviewing somebody who thinks about team performance, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. But thought about it once. So then I said, how many times in the last year have you held a rehearsal for a presentation? And he said, I couldn't tell you, it's too many to count. Mm. At that point, I know I that this is a guy who's always thinking about, yes. how do I help the team perform? So that's the sort of, that, that's what you're looking for in, in interviews. You're looking for frequent behavior in specifics where you can mm -hmm. go, why did you do this, not this, this, not this, this, not this. Um, at the same time, interviews are not perfect yeah. um, vehicles. Um, you know, you, the, the best that we can do in interviews is something called a structured interview where a, where a series of interviewers ask an identical series of questions. And being the team, probably in, in a lot of the case, because you're involved the team. team right? Okay, we can we can do all of those things. Um, the the success rate of interviews when you do all of those things is about fifty yeah. percent. Uh, Even if you're half the time you get it right, half the yeah. time you get it wrong. Um, so actually, the smart thing to do is get really good at interviewing and make sure that there are ways for people to move inside an organization if where we thought they should land turns mm -hmm. out to be the wrong place. Mm -hmm. So think about rotational programs, think about, you know, cross ease of movement, cross training, dynamic teams. Um, think about all the sorts of ways where we can, where we can allow ourselves not to have to be perfect on interviews because mm -hmm. it's a really, really hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so lie number two, when I first read that, Ashley, I, I, I had this like, how dare you, you know, like when I read this, like, what, who are you? No, there's this is BS, you know? And then as I read on, I really love the concept and you know, it's interesting. Uh, so, so the be best plan wins being the lie and the best intelligence wins because the world moves too fast and plans matter too much fast for plans to matter too much. And interesting because my previous uh, experience, I had owned a private security country, company across Canada, uh, um, physical guarding company. So we'd have, in some cases, 3,000 employees for concerts and festivals. And we really went from like the 10-year plan to the five-year plan to the three-year plan. It did get too complex. In the end, we ended up, look, our purpose is this, our big, hairy, audacious goal, our values, and we plan for the quarter. And so I, I felt we, we, with even though I reacted, I felt we had kind of landed on that. Tell us more. Why is the best plan a lie? Uh, and of course, we know the world moves quickly, but tell us more about that. Well, it's funny. I mean, if we'd have written this book, been writing this book now. So in the, in the, right. in the chapter, we write about um, Stan McChrystal and uh, Iraq and Team of Teams and the idea that if you can give people reliable real-time intelligence on what's going on around them, plus a sense of where the hell are we all heading, then folks can figure it out and you actually build sort of dynamic intelligence at the edge of your organization rather than trying to build it in the center and then tell everyone what to do. Right. Um, but if we'd have been writing this book right now, it would be a case study of COVID. I mean, mm. COVID is absolutely a perfect example of, um, if we'd had a quarterly plan 
in, uh, let's say, uh, February the 1st. We've done mm -hmm. our planning in January. We caught a start February the 1st. We've got February, March, April. That plan would not have included five weeks into the plan sending everybody home, closing right. the schools, stopping airline travel, having lines out the door at the grocery, and everybody buying yeast. Those would not have been part of that plan. And now you think about, I don't know, my son is down at, uh, at Georgia Tech, um, just started his second year. And, you know, he, he went back there and obviously they have a plan to try and contain COVID. But the plan is actually more, the, once you lean in and figure out what they're actually doing, the plan is a plan of intelligence. In other words, they're setting an expectation that every student is tested every week, and then they are looking for patterns of infection and patterns of spread, mm -hmm. and then they are measuring very carefully where those are, and then they are seeing who's being tested, who isn't, and then they are, and, and, and it's all real-time data on this mm -hmm. thing, so we mm -hmm. chase it. Now, you, you can you can sort of say all of that and folks go, well, yeah, but you wouldn't do anything else, would you? I mean, obviously, 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 this is how you track down a fast-moving um, disease. You wouldn't do anything else. Um, to which the rejoinder is, well, actually, in the world of work, what we would sometimes do when faced with COVID, let's say faced with a massive competitive threat or a new competitor yeah. or some other thing coming at us, what we'd do is we'd say, okay, everyone go about your business for three months. We're going to make a brilliant plan and we're going to tell you in three months what you all should do. Right. And, and it's just, it's not that the idea of having a plan is, is bankrupt. It's mm -hmm. that we've over, um, we worship planning and right. we, un, we massively underappreciate real-time intelligence sorry in egos attached to the plan yeah. in such a way that we're blinded to new facts well a lot of a lot of what we talk about in in the book a lot of the germ of all of these things that we get wrong is actually fear mm. and as soon as i of course as soon as i make you a senior leader um your first thought is oh my god let me not screw this up please Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, I'm going to be great. It's, that's the second thought. <laughs> the yep, yep. thought is, let, let me not mess this whole thing up. Um, and, you know, one, one good way to persuade yourself and maybe a couple of people who are listening that you're not going to mess it up is to go, look, here's the five-year plan. I've, I've written it all down. Do you, if, do you like my five-year plan? If you like my five-year plan, then I think I've taken failure off the table a little bit. Even if it turns out the plan is wrong, people will say, well, never mind. You know, it's not Ashley's fault. This plan didn't work. At least he made a plan. Mm. So there's a whole, there's a lot of failure avoidant behavior, um, which of course is not crazy until it pulls us away from the things that create excellence in, in humans, in teams, in organizations. And one of the things that creates excellence is the ability to respond very rapidly to an emerging situation. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we, if all of our thought is we, we must live in planning world and we just keep saying, stop, things aren't working, we're going to redo the plan, then we're not investing in how do we, how do we connect? I don't know, we're all talking on Zoom the whole time these days, or yeah. WebEx, actually, if you're a Cisco customer, please. Um, <laughs> but how do, we, how do we connect a thousand people for mm. an hour a day so that they understand what's going on in their ecosystem? We, we don't ask those questions if we're too obsessed with our plans. That's the point. It's, it's interesting. You know, I, when I read that, I went deep into 
uh, businesses that I've owned and been involved with. And then I, I went, funny enough, I went to security. And because I, I was trying to, you know, push back on these. And I thought, you know, I've been involved in some high level executive protection where I've got, you know, I'm on tour with Jay-Z or I'm looking after executives in Bahamas. And to me, all I could control in those cases was the plan. Okay, if this goes wrong, what's next? What's next? Are you still saying that that backup, these plan Bs are okay? How does this connect back to, to these thoughts I was having? What's nice about the planning is it gets you to, it, it helps you understand the problem you're confronting. It actually helps you understand relatively little about the solution because the world changes very quickly. Right, right. COVID prior discussion. Um, but what you're doing, if you're going, well, if this happens, then what? And if this happens, then what? And if this happens, then what? The mm -hmm. most valuable part of that exercise, I suspect for you, is the if this happens list. Right. Because right. now you're thinking about, okay, what are all the contingencies that I need to have thought through? Yes. Um, and it's just a, an expansion of curiosity, which is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so if you... The, the paradox at the heart of this whole thing is if you really want to understand a problem, make a plan to solve the problem, but then don't imagine that executing that plan will solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You're just making the plan to understand the problem. Then say to everybody, here's what we've discovered about our problem. We think the problem's difficult because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. We think we've got to think about this, 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 this. Now then, mm -hmm. what are you guys seeing in the world and mm -hmm. how could we respond? And, you know, I'm going to go, so line number three to me connects quite well with this, right? Because to, if I'm playing this back for you, you're not saying to not sit around and be strategic about your business. That's not what you're saying. Um, and so, you know, because most companies do a year planning session, a quarterly planning. Um, and so I certainly am in one of those cadences we do, we do quarterly with, with strategic meetings, you know, monthly. But one thing we did right away after reading the book is, uh, you know, so one of my companies called Vita Living, we really focus on workforce housing, affordable uh, multifamily units throughout North America. And one of the things that we did right away is we, we, we sat around and we said, geez, we've got a problem in some buildings that are using, uh, and, you know, the, the, some, some are great with water efficiency and energy and some are, are losers. They're, they're not doing great. The data told us that. And so, you know, the old company, what we typically would have done is, okay, here's what we're going to do and pass this out and, and everybody has to do the thing. But what we did is stop and I literally pushed out a video to say, hey, here's the buildings that are doing well. Here's the ones that aren't doing well. Here's some things that we suggest that you could use some tools or systems to, to find out, you know, if the toilet's leaking. But what, like right away post-session, you have the information, the front lines to dig at this stuff. We're just going to guide you a little bit, but help us in solving this problem. Did we follow that right? Yeah. Okay. What you're, what you're basically doing is um, allowing for the possibility that the people you hired because they were really smart are, in fact, really smart. Right. Um, one of the funny things about the world of work is we say, well, we hire the best people here. They're really, really brainy and uh, super good at what they do. And then we bring them in and go, all right, sit down. And we're gonna Here's tell what, you what you're going to do. Gonna do. And you're like, well, hang on, that didn't make it. What changed as you walk through the door? You suddenly became a dumb I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it, um, it's lovely to be able to say sort of to an organization, well, finish the thought. If the people you hired are so smart, you're probably right. Um, but if the people you hired are so smart, and by the way, so passionate about the business and what you do and really want to make the world a better place, because most of us do, then how can you support that? Mm -hmm. How can you support that? Mm. 
and and the the support is hey, get curious about what they see mm-hmm. um give them the best information you can um and signal to them that your expectation is that they not wait to be told right um design mm-hmm. a system for people to offer their contributions and the best of themselves right and and you do pretty well yeah you know it's interesting the, the book that Shane mentioned that i wrote in 2018 outrageous empowerment the incredible sort of giving people their brains back. It wasn't that they didn't have a brain, but it was exactly what you're talking about. So let them use their brains again versus telling them how to use it, when to use it, and, and uh, the details around that. Yeah, so, and by the way, you know, you, you find this out by studying great teams. The best team leaders know how to do this. The best team leaders do this the whole time. The best team leaders don't sit everybody down at the beginning of the week and go, here's my list of action items for you all. Mm-hmm. The best team leaders go, tell me what you're seeing in the world and what are you focused on right now and how can I help? That's, that's, uh, that's the motion. And, you know, with lie two and lie three, because typically that's what happens, right? We plan and then it goes down the organization and these are now, the, this plan ends up on, on mid-level managers to-do list and they try to push out the, 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 the message gets lost. But by the time it gets kicked out, the plan's garbage. I mean, it's just things are moving way too fast, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and uh, the other thing that happens during this process is most normal people conclude that the managers are idiots. Right. Um, because they're like, why are you telling me to do all this out-of-date stuff? Have you not been listening to what's going on over here? Do you Are you completely clueless? Right. And the answer is no, we haven't been listening. We've been in our planning meeting. Following uh, orders. Where we Because we had to shut ourselves away from new information while we processed mm-hmm. the old information. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't do anyone much good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go to lie five. I felt like this was the most controversial lie. Right, the feedback line, because there's a lot around this. There's coaching. There's well, you know. So I want to dig at this. Um, and and the truth being, people need attention. So people need feedback is the lie for the listeners. But but the truth is, people need attention because we all want to be seen for how we are at our best, not our worst. So open that up, Ashley, and then we'll have a conversation around it. Well, this is another fair one. We talked about fair a little a yeah. few moments ago. Um, so if I'm worried, if I'm your team leader and I'm worried that you're going to fail at a task, yep. of course, what I can do is I can step in and do it for you. I can micromanage. I can tell you how to do it. I can ride you. I can give you a whole bunch of not this, this, not this, this, not, no, Ron, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Do it like this. Yep. Do it like this. Okay. Um, that will produce a not failure. If I'm, if I really ride you, um, so it'll, it'll avoid failure and it'll produce you feeling completely marginalized in this whole thing. And the thing it won't produce is excellence, ever. Um, when we think about feedback in organizations, most feedback is, is you know, I saw you do this, do it this way instead. I saw yeah, you, actually, can you do this way instead. What is the definition of feedback? Because I think that's a broad one too, which maybe even um, I was challenged with. What does feedback mean from your perspective? Um, so if you think about, uh, technology implementations of feedback and you think about a 360 or you think about okay. some, some other sort of rating environment or yep. competency rating or mm-hmm. these sorts of things, it tends to be, here's what I think of you expressed either in a score or in a verbatim thing or in a little thing that I can type in an app now and anonymously, um, cluster bomb you with, um, so it's some thought of me on you intended to make you better. Mm-hmm. And, 
And so people, you know, look at it and go, well, you know, the intent was good. <laughs> like, yes, you, you actually need more than good intent in the world. But so, so whether that's my sitting you down and having a tough conversation where I say, look, I need to give you some feedback and you go, what have I done now? And, and I go, you did this wrong or I saw you do this and that led to, that's, that's feedback. Um, when you push into it, most feedback is me talking about me in the presence of you. Mm. It's not actually really about you. It's about my fear and my need to say, here's how to do it. Right. So you're actually present in the conversation, but your role is to very little more than to be talked at present. Mm -hmm. Now then, um, to build excellence, you needed an opposite toolkit. Because when you study excellence, you find out that A, it's completely idiosyncratic. So my, my flavor of excellence is necessarily going to be very different from yours. So if you photocopy me and paste it onto you, weirdness ensues. You, you can't get there like that. Um, secondly, you, you, you begin to realize that um, my judgments of you are actually a factor of my experience and they're not actually a reliable guide to what's going on in you. So I've got to stop jumping over your side of the net and saying, you're like this. Projecting my, but, my, 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 I'm projecting everything I, about myself on you. Well, uh, uh, if I confuse my experience of Ron with the yeah. essence of Ron, mm -hmm. then, I, then I'm doing harm. Right, got it. Um, and then the third thing you've got to realize is, is for somebody to learn, they, the, the putting together of two and two has to be uh, emergent. They've got to do it for themselves. Um, if you, if you study the process of self insight and, and what actually happens when, when somebody learns, you find out that they're not going, Oh, it said, do it like this. Therefore I've learned it. They're going, I'm struggling with this. Somebody had this reaction when I tried it before I had this thought I had the, Oh, it's that, isn't it? And the, Oh, is the moment of learning but you can't force somebody to do that. You can't instruct them to do it. You can only put them in an environment where it's possible and see if their brain gets there. So that's, what's, that's what growth is. Now, what that means is that the second I sit you down and say, I've got some feedback for you, I preclude all of those growth things. None of them are gonna happen because I'm putting myself in a position of, I'm going to tell you, not invite you. I've, by the way, completely fritzed your neural circuitry by saying the word feedback, which puts you into fight or flight mode. So I've, I've, I've put your brain in a mode that's now like, please let this be over because this is just going to be miserable now until I get mm. rid of Ashley. Um, what I need to do instead is to understand that the ingredients of excellent performance are good performance. So I've got to catch you in moments where things go pretty well and go, mm. tell me what happened. Right. I've got to. I've got to bathe you in awareness of your own excellence of outcome. That really worked for me. The way that you framed that question really landed beautifully. I totally understood. And then I've mm -hmm. got to devote all my corrective energy, move it from corrective, and put it into curious. And I've got to ask you fifteen questions wow. about what you just did. Okay, have you asked a question like that before? Where did that question come from? Do you prep for those questions? Did you write that down while you were reading the book? Um, were you expecting the answer to go that way? Have you, what, what's in, what's, tell me, and in the process, of course, tell you, what led to that moment in the hope that in the future, you could recognize it and do it more. And that's how you help somebody grow.
So let's do a live example. So actually we're colleagues and you're, um, you know, in this case, uh, the subject is, you know, the, the, you're passive aggressive with your team. And I don't like that. I'm the leader. And I'm going to sit back and say, Ashley, look, let me give you some feedback. You know, what you're saying that isn't landing well. Maybe your approach could be different, yada, yada. What is that? What should that look like based on, on, in this system? How, how do we make that approach? Yeah. So the, I mean, the first thing to observe is start with the excellence, not with the problems. Right. Um, so there's actually, an example I, out there in feedback. I'll, I'll give you the, I'll, yeah. I'll give you the uh, there's an example out there in, in one of the books that's recently been written about this, where somebody gets feedback not to say, um, in meetings yeah. and the leader says, don't say, um, it makes you look daft. Um, Okay, let's imagine that this is perfect corrective feedback, and now mm -hmm. no one in the meetings ever says, um, are the products of this company better? Are the customers of this company happier? Because they've eliminated the word, um. No, they just have meetings that don't contain the word, um. Right. The meetings contain insight and creativity and growth and new connections and new... I don't know. They've just removed the word um. So it's it, when you fix the things you perceive as problems, you don't create magnificence. Um, so you right, you can right. talk about passive aggressive or not. The question is, what's this person done recently that brought you back on your heels? Because it was surprisingly good. Um, does we, it have to be? I don't know why I get caught with, does it have to be the opposite? So I, in this case, you were so great with Timmy last week. You were so great. It should, you should be trying to find the opposite of this, right? At some point, you weren't passive aggressive. You were very great and energetic and et cetera, et cetera. I, so I think there are two things. Firstly, um, we're all within our rights to say not you were passive aggressive. This is yeah. me talking about me in the presence of you. But I experienced that I felt. as passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm not judging you. I'm just saying my experience, which by the way, I have complete sovereignty over my experience. You don't get right. to tell me what my experience was or not. So we're not arguing. My yeah. experience was that was that that landed on me as passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. Okay, you you are then at liberty to go, I'm terribly sorry I didn't mean it, or yes, you were pissing me off, or whatever. Okay. I so by the way, actually, I need you to on a separate conversation, we need to do a three-way call with my my wife because she, I could tell her what you said. You know, I felt this way. And she said, no, you didn't. And I said, well, I, that doesn't work like that. <laughs> I will tell you, I don't do marital guidance Damn it. Damn it. because um, it's safer to be writing books. Anyway, <laughs> um, we, we, are, we have sovereignty over our own experience. So you can always say, psychologists would say, just make an I statement. That's the, mm -hmm. what psychiatrists would say. Um, if you're in therapy, they'll say, okay, the way through this is make an I statement. I experienced that as book. And someone can say, that's a shame, or you're an idiot, but they can't say, no, you didn't. That's right. They can't say, no, you didn't. So that's one thing. But yeah. then, you know, the, the thing that is, is so frustrating to me personally, and, you know, you're right, this chapter is the one where people go, mm. goodness me, goodness me, goodness me, uh, really, mm. um, is that we, for some reason, we, we are wired so that we think good job is the end of a conversation. Mm. We think we see you do something. We say, well done, Billy. Good job. Pat on the head. Attaboy. And we stop. Love how Good you job is the this. beginning yeah. of mm. the most important conversation any team leader ever has at yeah. work. The beginning. What follows it is, you say, good job, Timmy. What were you 
what, what led to that? Why did you choose to do that that way? Were you aware that this is what you were doing? Have you done it before? Did you learn that from somebody else? Mm. Do you do that in other parts of your job? Do those, and what you're trying to understand is, what are the mental patterns that led to you doing that? The how. Yeah, what's, yeah. what's um, advice, is a, advice is, a, is a cousin of feedback, right? Advice is, is feedback in better clothes if you like. Um, and Marcus gave me some advice once. We were recording the audio book for Nine Lies About Work and we decided to do alternate chapters. Um, so I think I got the odd number chapters and he got the even number chapters, and fair. which sort of was fair in the end. And um, um, he'd done lots of audio books. I hadn't done a lot of audio book recording. He went to the studio and did his chapters on Monday, Tuesday. And then we had dinner on, I flew in, we had dinner on Tuesday night and I did mine on Wednesday, Thursday. That was fine. And so at dinner on Tuesday, I showed up and I said, how was it, Marcus? And he said, it was great. And um, he said, look, I'm going to give you some advice. Advice is feedback in better clothes. Yeah. Because um, I'm not that I asked. Um, he said, let me give you some advice. That you'll, you'll be in the room and you see the producer through the soundproof glass. And what you've got to do is read the book to the producer. Read the book. to the, It's just the two of you. Just read the book. Read the book to the producer. So I go off the next day and that we're in a different recording studio because there was some logistic thing. And so it's actually same town, different studio. And I go into the studio and I, I sit down and I'm on my chair and the, the, they give you the text on an iPad so that you don't make page turning noises. And the iPad is on an easel and I can't see the producer. Of it. So I'm like, where's this person? I'm meant, to be re- I, I'm meant to read this book to this person I can't see. And anyway, the person was a little bearded for my taste and so it's just like i'm not sure i want to read the book to you i want to what's it's just not working so i sort of blunder my way through all of this stuff and then after a while i'm like mm. okay hang on i think i found something what's going on and there was some rhythm i'd found and i do a break and walked out to chat to a bearded producer and he said that was really that was really good he gave me his reaction that's i i think that's really working right now what's going on? Mm. And I said, uh, oh, I'm playing the piano. And he said, what on earth are you talking about? You're reading a book, dude, mm. in case mm-hmm. you're not, a piano is a large thing with 88 keys, makes music, book is a small thing that you're reading out. You're not playing the piano. I'm like, no, I've been a pianist my whole life. When I'm sight reading piano music, I know what, it, I know what you do, you read a little bit ahead, so you can prepare the cadence and get your fingers in the right place and you listen constantly to what sounds are coming out so that you can control it as you go. All right, I've just realized all I have to do is play the piano except with words, not with notes and fingers, and I can do it. Mm-hmm. And that was the unlock for me. Now then, here's the point. Marcus could never in a million years have said the night before, go and sit in the recording booth and play the piano because that's weird. So we're, we're my weirdness as a musician turned yeah. HR person turned author versus Marcus's weirdness as somebody who always understands what it feels like to be in his audience, which is yeah. his brilliant thing. His doesn't translate to me. So what you have to do is you have to find a moment where it works and go, what are you doing? What's that pattern? For me, that pattern was called playing the piano. It's one I know really, really well. Right. Um, He's not going to know that. He's not going to know that. I didn't know it until somebody asked me the question. Mm-hmm. But once I'd figured it out, I could do it all the way through. 
Yeah. So all yeah. of a sudden I could do that. Right. And, and, and now, you know, I'm, and then it triggers a series of thoughts about other, other mm -hmm. places in my life where I could be playing the piano. And apply that, that skill. Because that right. I know, I know that, I know that vibe. I know what I, and I know precisely what to do while I'm doing it. So that's the difference. That was advice, but that's really, if you want to build excellence, you've got to start with the other person, not start yeah. with you. Right. But you're not suggesting, and I'm going back in my mind to that chapter, but you're not, I believe you're not suggesting not correcting things sometimes. So i.e., you know, someone filed something in the wrong place. You're not suggesting to not correct that. Again, you know, recording a book is, is a great example. Occasionally you fluff a word. Yeah. The, the producer does not cut into the recording and go, you fluffed a word, but never mind. The one after it was beautiful. He goes, no, go back. You fluffed the word. Right. Okay. Um, very often the sort of corrective things that we do, by the way, are when it's very clear that there's a right way and a wrong way. So mm -hmm. reading a book, great example. If you say the word wrong or you, if, or you stumble on the word, it's not like there's not a debate about do we say the word that way or not? It's just no wrong. Go back and do it again. Yes. Um, so, you know, some of the places where feedback, corrective feedback is perfectly legitimate is where you get a fact wrong or you get a step wrong in a well-defined process. This is why, mm -hmm. you know, when we all return to flying again, the people at the front of the plane have a thing called a checklist. Right. It's to make sure they don't miss any steps. Mm -hmm. And if they try and take off without putting the flaps out, there is a feedback voice in the cockpit that says configuration error, configuration error, and stops right. the plane. Right. So that's giving them corrective feedback, if you like. But it's doing it in a world where we're not after excellence, we're after conformity with a series of standards we've agreed are necessary. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a whole, that's a wholly different world. What we keep doing is we keep going collectively. Um, this sort of works for conformity. So if we did it 10 times as much, we'd get excellence. Uh, no, if 10 times the remediation doesn't produce brilliance, it just produces 10, a 10th of the error rate, if you like. Got it. Um, yeah. That's so, so if you are, if you're in the business of understanding and activating and unleashing the, the beautiful idiosyncrasy of a human being, you can't be in corrective feedback mode alone. Mm -hmm. And four-fifths of your time, according to research, 80% of your time has got to be in this mode of find what's working and interrogate the hell out of it. I love that, the how, what's behind it. I, I think it was so beautifully said to say that it ends with great job. You know, so it's how did you do that? Well, I have this special list that I use wow, the, the organization could use it. Let's allow you to make special lists for people and coach people on that or train them. I love that. I've got two quick ones, and then I'm going to open the questions up a little bit, Ashley, because we're getting okay. down to time. Which of those nine, if, if someone's listening, hasn't read the book, which, which do you feel has the biggest impact? Which should we start with if we're going to make change and um, implement one of these truths? Uh, well, I'm, I think I'm duty bound to say all of them. Right, um, yeah. Um, you can't start with all. I, I, have to start I, with I wouldn't. I, I actually wouldn't pick any of them. I would say there, there's a thing running through all of them, which is get get out of your own way and get curious about other people, and mm -hmm. you'll learn a hell of a lot. Okay. If you wanted to grow as a leader, grow as a leader by being curious, not about your own leadership, but by the people about the people you're leading. Mm -hmm. Who are they? What's special about them? What what lights them up in the morning? 
if you want to develop an organization, if you're, if you're thinking about organizational system or process, get curious about what works, whether in your organization or in another walk of life. Um, mm. We jump to conclusions, and when we jump, we stop, we stop, we cauterize our curiosity. Um, the book starts with a quote from Mark Twain that actually isn't a quote from Mark Twain, longer story. Um, but the, the Mark Twain quote is, it's not what we don't know that gets us into trouble. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. Right. It's not ignorance that's the problem in our world. It is misplaced certainty. Mm. If you want to see how dangerous misplaced certainty is in the world, 2020 is the perfect case study. Wherever you look, misplaced certainty, in trouble, in trouble, in trouble. We are at our most vulnerable as a species when we're sure of something that's wrong. Right. So the thing I would say to anybody is be super suspicious of your own certainties. Mm. And the antidote to that is always yeah. curiosity. Always right. be curious. Well, I always heard years ago, you know, like, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we don't know that we don't know. That circle doubles every time, you know, mm -hmm. and we should be always working towards getting to know things that we don't know. And, and prepared to change our minds. I mean, you know, if you come right. as you do from a background of evidence and research, you're a pretty, you're mm. a pretty poor scientist if you're not willing to change your mind when the evidence changes. We, we sort of admire people who don't flip-flop. Um, mm -hmm. Good scientists are good flip-floppers. Mm -hmm. So when the evidence, if you're curious, if you're learning, you should be prepared to change your approach to something if the evidence changes. That, that's an important sort of intellectual discipline. Got it. Last question, and then I'm going to open it up. Uh, I'm going to actually, we've got a few questions here that I'd like to ask. Uh, actually, any, any other lies since the pandemic, since the book, and, and truths that would go with that? If you had to you know, add today, is there anything new that's come up? Um, I think the, the thing that I'm thinking, it's not quite a lie, but the yep. thing I'm thinking about now in terms of how we build healthy organizations mm -hmm. is... Um, what do we do to provide um, some uh, anchor point for our people? Um, so again, the story of this year has been the story of amazing change wherever you look in the world. And um, it's, it's making me think about what's, what's the opposite. Where, where do we have a foundation at work? Where do we have moments of connection? Mm -hmm. where, do we have, um, where do we have things that we can rely on mm -hmm. in the world of work? I don't think we design work for those things. We spend a lot of time going, um, change is good, move fast and break things, reinvent, mm -hmm. disrupt. There's all the changey change stuff that we love to say and that we sort of um, praise as though that's the ultimate ideal of the world of work is that it's like we should make it like living in a blender the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm now in the middle of saying, huh, you know, that one doesn't sit well with me either. I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's right. I'm not sure that's healthy. I'm not sure that's nurturing for we humans. So what could we do that would be a little bit more deliberate about creating homes in our organizations or, or points of repose or points of attachment? That's what you're talking about, about anchoring, correct? Yeah, that's what, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether we need to do more in that. And of course that germinates from this idea of a team because team mm. is home, team is your home at work if you're on a good one. That's where you turn. That's what determines whether you're having a great experience or not. But to take that idea and to say, mm. it, does that lead us to question 
the um, obsession, uh, mm-hmm. the fetish, if you like, at work for changing everything every 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's an interesting line of exploration. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, as you're saying that, I had presented in front of an entrepreneur group that one of my biggest challenges right now is because part of our values is continuous, relentless improvement, change, change, change. And, and, and I do love that. I think it, it, there's a competitive advantage to that. Um, but the, the, the challenge is because we change so much and sometimes change people that we're not, um, it's hard to sustain some of the best practices that we feel because sometimes people don't know them and we don't just put them back into onboarding. And so that pilot checklist going from pilot to pilot to plane to plane, I've had a challenge with that. You know, it's interesting that you say that. Um, so I'm going to just throw a few questions out here, uh, Ashley. And thanks, by the way. This has been an incredible conversation. I really enjoyed it and, and continue to learn um, from the book and yourself. So thank you. Um, I've got a question here from India. What advice on building a, performance, uh, a high-performing team and culture of trust in a new world of post-pandemic? Anything, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's back to basics, to be right. honest. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, there are, of course, many people at the moment in the world of work, in the world of business going, it's all going to be different. There'll be a new normal. On the, we don't know quite what it's going to look like, but when we've emerged from this thing, there'll be a new normal. I'll tell you some things that won't change. Humans won't change. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't changed much in the last, I don't know, 200,000 million years since we first were distinct from primates, other sorts of primates. Um, our needs won't have changed. Our needs for affiliation, for love, our needs to be seen, our needs to form communities, those won't have changed. Um, so the, the, the how we go about all of these things might take a while to get back to normal, might not come all the way back to normal. Mm-hmm. Although I think the gravitational pull of humans going, we want to be together. We want to go and see people. We want to form groups. We want to have collective experiences. I think those things will actually pull us most of the way back to the world of long ago in 2019. Um, but if I were, if I were setting out to build a team now in, in a post, COVID world, I would focus on frequent attention to every team member, on um, creating a team experience defined by strengths, by support, by stretching people, by the things that we talk about in the book. Um, Because whatever, however we configure the world of work, it's still going to contain we humans. Mm -hmm. So I I would just go double down on what each of us needs. And the easiest way to figure that out, by the way, well, the easiest way is to read, of course, Nine Lines About Work, but the second easiest way is to ask the question, well, what do I need? Right. We all know ourselves really, really well. Um, it's interesting how often we wander into a mental space where we decide what other people need, whereas we don't think that we would need what we think they need. We mm-hmm. sort of, we're very good at legislating for the other people, but actually a wonderful line of inquiry for any of us is, well, what would I want? If I designed my dream world, what would it contain? And now let me try and find out other people's dream worlds and at least design a world that I would like to live in. Interesting. Ashley, how are you on time? We're at time now. Do you have time for a few more questions or are you have a hard time? Okay, great. Let's do that. This is a great question. I think it's very relevant. How do you keep people... Uh, engaged 
Or how do you keep engagement increased with layoffs? I mean, there's companies that are going through big layoffs right now. And how do we do that? How do we keep people engaged as these organizations are starting to go through furloughs and layoffs? And how do you, um, how do you really talk culture with C-suite um, so, so, so they understand that and, and can, can, can continue to you know, have, build an impactful culture? So um, I'll give you a few thoughts. I mean, the basic answer to the question is it's massively hard to do. Yeah. Um, you know, we measure engagement on every team at Cisco. We have about 15,000 teams and we measure engagement on each of those teams one by one by one every three months. Three um, months. Wow. And I can tell you that since this, um, since February, really, when COVID really hit around the world, we're off four or five points of engagement which is a big shift in the way that these numbers tend to move. Yeah. Um, and um, so that, you know, these are, these are difficult times for people um, that, that that's not in question. And then you add to that. Yes. Okay. Businesses are looking at the, they're looking at the income statement and um, mm. you know, if, if the, if revenue has gone down sooner or later, you've got to try and make the business sustainable. So um, these, these are, these are very difficult times. Yeah. Um, Firstly, I would, I would suggest that the goal is not um, for us to sail through this without, um, without um, any noticeable effect. That seems to be almost inhumane. Um, secondly, transparency always is an important thing. Um, here's what's going on. Let's be here's honest. Here's what's going on. Here's what we're seeing. Um, um, it is difficult for certainly public companies to be completely transparent because they have to think about um, the markets and the regulators as well. Um, but the, the goal in all of this is predictability. Mm -hmm. And it's not to make perfect predictability, but it's about not leaving opportunities to be predictable on the table. Um, so something that we started doing at Cisco when all of this hit was we started doing a weekly all hands. And um, that's part of sustaining engagement through the through the maelstrom because all of a sudden it's predictable wednesday afternoon there'll be a company all hands and the exec you know ceo and his team will be there and we'll see all of their home offices which became a thing for a while mm -hmm. who's got the nicest home office furniture was a little chat game we were all playing in the background um so you create predictability which is to say you lean into ritual you lean into this comes around again. It's still here. It's still here. It's still here. You give people points of attachment. It's the, the same idea I was talking about a month ago. Um, and if you can't tell them what's going to happen, at least tell them when they'll know. You know, it's like just because I can't say we're going to do this. Um, one thing Chuck Robbins, our CEO, said to all of us at the beginning was we're not going to make any decisions about workforce for 60 days. Okay. Say that again? Can you repeat that, Ashley? Not going to make any decisions for? 60 days about okay. whether we're doing any reductions or whether we've got to exit certain lines of business. We mm -hmm. are, we're going to see how things unfold for 60 days. Now he wasn't saying no changes. He wasn't saying changes, but he was saying, I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you 60 days where he said, I don't want you thinking about this stuff. You leave us to think about this. Don't think about that stuff. Look after your family, stay healthy. I like that. Um, so there was a, you know, that's a way of increasing mm -hmm. just a little iota the predictability of the world and so you know the the, the back to humans are going to be humans um uncertainty is the most gnawing thing for us the most 
the, the thing that really eats us from the inside. Um, if, if, you want to, uh, if you want to torture somebody, just put them in an environment of complete and total uncertainty. Um, mm. And, mm -hmm. and that's, a, that's a very, very mean thing to do. So leaders are in the certainty business, um, right. which right. is not 100%. But if you can go from 45% to 46%, you've done a good mm -hmm. job leading that day. If a week later you can go from 46% to 47%, you're, you're doing it. So it, to your it's point, the, it's even to say life. we're not going to make a decision for 60 days is some certainty and focus on your work. Even that provides a level of certainty, not look, we just don't know what's going to happen and you just got exactly. to wait for an answer. You know? exactly. uh, I'm going to end with this one. Uh, how do organizations execs, especially the CEO, work with frontline leaders to ensure the culture's intentionally crafted and maintained. You know, big organizations have a challenge with that. Um, the shortest answer to that is be very, very, very careful about who you make a team leader. Mm. Um, at any level. At any level. Yeah. Um, because actually, of course, the senior folks don't make the culture. The senior folks make the team leaders and the team leaders make the culture. I love that. Um, yeah. So mm. um, for goodness sakes, pick people to lead teams who want to lead teams. This sounds very basic, but very often we pick people to lead teams because they want to make more money. Mm -hmm. And the way to make more money is to now lead a team. And they show up for day one of team leadership and they go, look, I don't care about any of you people. I'm not curious about you people. I'm just here because I want to grow my career. And this was the ladder in front of me. And I, this is the next rung. So, um, you know, we don't, we don't design the world so that people can say, I'm really geeked about team leading. We design a world that people can be geeked about technologies or they can be geeked about customer service or they can be geeked about innovation or they can be geeked about um, a number of things. Very few places have said, if you're geeked about learning to lead a team and being a great team leader, here's a place for you to steer. Here's a point, point your momentum at that to take us right back to the beginning. Here's a way to do that. We need to create avenues for people to go, I would love to learn this stuff. Because those folks turn into really good team leaders nine times out of ten because they start with the curiosity, which is right. key to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say in the in the business of in the business of culture, don't try and make culture in the C suite. Make values in the C suite. Make here's where we're going. Make this is what matters to us. But then figure out how to grow a bunch of brilliant team leaders and empower them to make your culture across the organization. I love that. Ashley, uh, thanks again for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. I, I hope you enjoyed uh, being on today. And, uh, and thanks again for all the work you and Marcus are doing and sharing it uh, with the world. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for having me, Ron. It's been great fun. Cheers. We'll be in touch. Cheers. Thanks, Ashley. Bye-bye. For more information on Ashley and anything else related to scaling culture, please see the show description for details. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.